0: Today, I want to remind you, we've been in a sermon series entitled Direction, and the, the definition we've been using for direction is a course along which someone or something moves. A course along which someone or something moves. I want you to think about that. A course, that means a pathway, a, a, a road, a, a way, a way that something moves. Now, The second definition we've incorporated as well because we get a chance to manage or guide this course. That means we have a determination. We have a choice in the matter, right? And you know what's interesting? Because if you look at this definition, it talks about that our life is on a way, on a path. And Jesus says the same thing. In his sermon on the mount, Jesus says, you have two paths that you can travel by. Doesn't he? He says, Wide and broad is the way that leads where? To destruction. Wide and broad is the path that leads to destruction. But if you want to go to eternal life, then narrow and difficult is the path that leads to eternal life. And only a few will find it and travel by it. Now, interesting, because Jesus highlights there's two paths, not many. I know in popular culture... In secular culture, people are saying, but there's many paths. There's many paths, pastors. There's not just two. I don't know about, I'm not smart enough to sit and determine how many paths there are, but I think Jesus probably qualifies. If you're the son of God, you qualify to say there's two paths. Now, there's, there's different ideas, but who are you going to go with? You're going to go with your idea? You're going to go with somebody else's idea? You're going to go with Jesus's idea? Because Jesus says there's two paths. One leads to destruction, the other leads to life. Now notice, he says, "For I'm the gate. I'm the gate, and you travel, you must enter through the narrow gate and stay on the narrow path. That means you got to come through him. So today, I want to talk to you about, about something very, very interesting. See, when, when they brought Jesus during his trial to Pilate, the Jewish leaders wanted Pilate to rule against him, and they wanted him to be, to be labeled as a traitor, as a, as a threat to Rome. So they said, this man comes, and he's trying to establish another kingdom. He's trying to go against Rome. And as Pilate began to talk to him, he started asking him, tell me about this kingdom. And Jesus says something like this. He says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Can I ask you a question here? Do you listen to the voice of Jesus? Do you listen to the Bible, to the scripture, to the holy scripture? Do you listen to that? Is it, is it something that's important to you? If it is, then you are people of the truth. You are people of the way. You know, in the New Testament, the early Christians were not known as Christians until Antioch. That comes about uh, a, a little bit, a little bit before, midway through the book of Acts. But up until that point, they were known as people of the way. Whose way? God's way. See, God has always wanted a relationship with us. As a matter of fact, God came down and he spoke to Moses in a burning bush and Moses freaked out. Come on, how many of you would freak out if a bush caught on fire, but it wasn't consumed and you heard a voice began to say, thus saith the Lord, or thus say I, or I don't know how he would talk, but I mean, it would be pretty intimidating, right? So Moses finally gets it together. He goes out and he says, let my people go. And he, so he, he delivers the children of Israel from captivity in Egypt. Now they're in the same desert at the same mountain, and God doesn't set one bush on fire. He sets the mountain on fire. Come on. Come on. How many of you would, man, that would be a sight to see. That would be awesome. But just like Moses was freaked out and afraid, the children of Israel began to tremble, and they said to Moses, God is too magnificent. He intimidates us. Therefore, you talk to God and then talk to us. And ever since then, it's kind of been human- Human tendency to want an intermediary, to want someone to go as a go-between, a priest, someone that we don't have to relate to God directly because God is intimidating. Well, God knew this about us. He created us. And so his plan was always to show us his love in a personal way because he doesn't want to work through someone. He wants to go directly. So he sent Jesus, his son, in our likeness, in our form, with our speech, with our language, with our features, with our frailties, with our weakness, with our everything. And he conquered sin and he paid for our for our sin. He paid the price for your redemption on the cross with his blood. He washed you white as snow. And he said, anyone who has faith in me and puts their faith in me, I am faithful and just to forgive them of their sins, that you might have a relationship with God. (laughs) That you might have a relationship with God. He you might say, but pastor, you don't know what I've done. And I'll tell you something I heard this past week that that hit me like a ton of bricks and, and just brought more freedom to me. Pastor Weiss, Dr. Weiss said this. He said, sir, I want you to know that Jesus, the power of the blood of Jesus is powerful enough, listen to me, to wash away the sins of all the world, of all the nations, for all the ages. He is powerful enough to cleanse you. I promise you that. I promise you that. So, so Jesus comes to show us the way to heaven. Listen to what to what Pilate says when Jesus is talking about truth. See, this was, the, this was the common idea in the culture. Pilate scoffs and goes, What is truth? With this, he sent out, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there, and said to him, I find no basis. For finding him guilty, but he tells Jesus, you're talking about truth. What is truth? See, truth is what you want it to be in my society. Can, can I tell you? It's 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 come it's come full circle. We're at that point again where, like the Romans, we're like, what is truth? There's no real truth. And Jesus is coming back again to show us what truth is. Because my Bible says, I am the truth, the way and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me, said Jesus. He said openly, I am the truth. I'm showing you the way to heaven. There's, there's not many ways, there's one way. So I, I want us to just kind of unpack this because you might be thinking to yourself, but Pastor, before we can unpack this, we've got to decide on what truth is because there's so many definitions of truth. Let's just start with one working definition. So I looked up several because that is the challenge. Let's just just define what truth is. Dictionary.com says, the actual state of matter in conformity with reality. Okay? Facts conforming with reality. Okay? Wikipedia, which is kind of scary to to go to Wikipedia because who knows what you'll find, but Wikipedia says to be in accord, that means in agreement with fact or reality. Okay? Webster's fidelity, Constancy, fact, actuality. Okay, watch this. So let's just decide that a good working definition is an understanding of the facts that correspond. What? That corresponds to reality. An understanding of the facts or facts that correspond with reality, to reality. That's a good place to start. So then, so then if, What what I started to realize is I'm kind of going through this study on truth and trying to understand kind of what's going on in secular culture, what's going on out there, where can I help you? How can I help you? I started realizing that there's really two questions when it comes to truth. You have the physical and you have the metaphysical. Let's say the physical is this this world that we create, we call reality, and then the unseen reality. That part that's hard to define because we don't see it. We're we're not we're not completely spiritual. And how many of us know that, that we rely on our physical senses way more than we rely on our spiritual senses? And some would say, but if you're, but if you're not a Christian, then you're spiritually dead. And so you have all these questions that start to come up, but, which brings about this question. Why do we demand concrete truth in the physical realm, but deny absolute truth in the spiritual realm? This is interesting because if you think about this... We have come very we've we've come become comfortable with the fact of really accepting absolute truth in the physical. What do I mean by that? I mean that that we look towards science and we consider ourselves sophisticated, we consider ourselves an advanced society. So we demand we demand truth and we demand absolute truth and particular truth. We're very particular about it, especially in those areas where it could it could affect our life. Come on, what kind of area could affect our life? How about in pharmaceuticals? What if they were like, yeah, truth is relative. Yeah, it's kind of what I want it to be today. I think I take a little of this, take a little of that. I don't know, I know that that's not the formula, but who cares? Here's your pill. What about in research? No, 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 no. You have to be very particular. You have to be precise. I mean, they measure to the nth degree. Why? Because this is life and death on the physical side. What about the spiritual side? Can I tell you, there's more at stake here. No, no, no. God said this. God said, don't fear the one that can kill your physical body. Fear the one that can kill your physical body and your eternal Fear that, fear, fear dying spiritually more than dying physically, but yet we have such a hard problem with this. And and we're so loosey-goosey on this, but we're so particular over here. I want you to think about this with me for a second. And then I want you to ask yourself, which approach is influencing you today? Because there's different approaches to truth. And one approach, the first one is the secular approach. The secular approach, truth, is a matter of perspective. What do you mean truth is a matter of perspective? Truth is objective, but only as it relates to who you are and what you are. Notice what I'm saying here. I'm not, I'm not speaking as a Christian because I'm saying, oh, yeah, it's objective, but then I make it completely Subjective. What is objective? Objective means it's, it, it is absolute. Subjective means it depends. So I say it's absolute, but it totally depends on who you are and what you are. It means it depends on your experience. That means if my experience is different from your experience and different from your experience and different from everybody else's experience, then we all have our measure of truth and we all have our truth. I want you to think about this with me for a second because that, that's a recipe for disaster. Just like it would be a recipe for disaster in the laboratory. Just like it would be a recipe for disaster if NASA went with those rules. Just like it would be a recipe for disaster in a lot of other disciplines. See, because secular truth is all about the consensus, it's all about relativism and situational ethics. What do I mean by that? I mean, if you, if you leave it up to who you are and what you are, then you say things like this. Yeah, it's true that wood is brown, but what about those that are colorblind? It's not brown to them. So then truth really does depend on the individual and who they are and what they are. But is this true? See, the younger generation, and there is a secularization of our, of, our, of our country, and not only our country, our world, they tend to say things like, truth for me, my truth. How many of you have heard that here lately? My truth. What does that mean, my truth? I thought that was just truth. Well, I don't want to leave anybody out. I don't want to be offensive. Can I tell you this, that sometimes truth offends But that's when you say, I'm trying to help you if you let me. (laughs) See, I kind of think of it like this. Let's say you're on a road and there's a sign that says, dangerous curve ahead. Slow down your speed to 45 miles per hour or 35 miles per hour. Whatever the highway department has determined is the appropriate rate of speed you have a decision to make what is that decision you can either slow down you can stay the same or you can speed up you have three decisions yes it's relative on how you decide it's not relative as to the degree of curve to that road the truth is that road still curves at certain degrees, at certain uh, uh, mathematical facts, but we want to change those facts to suit our fancy because we don't want to slow down. Can I tell you, truth is true. Whether you slow down, speed up, or stay the same, it's true. It's the road that leads to heaven, amen? Amen. And when Jesus said it's narrow, it curves this way, and it goes this way, and it goes that way, and ultimately it will lead you to the cross. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters how you respond, because that's what's true. But we have to understand that there's so much being said about this. See, what happens when your truth goes against my truth? Then you have people saying this. In USA Today, this is what they had to say about Tim Tebow. Jesus' representatives, that's you and me, in sports aren't just practicing faith. This exclusiveness sometimes morphs into a form of what? Chauvinism. Tim Tebow should be seen as someone who promotes a form of belief that makes uncomfortable judgments about everyone else's religion. See, can I tell you something, guys? That when you are a Christian, eventually, some people are going to feel uncomfortable with you like they felt uncomfortable with Jesus. Because to be a Christian means... I follow the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there's two ways, not many ways. There's one that leads to heaven and one that leads to destruction. You choose. We won't judge you for it. We won't, we won't be angry at you for it no more than Jesus, because that's your decision. And God respects everyone's decision but I won't, I won't be cowarded into being, having to say that we're both right. Because to say that we're both right, then what? Makes my truth relative. And by definition, truth cannot be relative. Think about with this with me for a second as we go into the second approach. The second approach to truth is spiritual, the, the spiritual approach or the metaphysical approach. It's, it's the, it's a, It's an approach that is completely mystical in nature. What do I mean by that? I mean that that they, they get the warm and fuzzy feeling. They want everyone to have that warm and fuzzy feeling that we're all okay. And this comes straight from the enemy. And I'll tell you why it comes from the enemy. Because the enemy wants you to feel you're okay. Because if you don't feel that you need a savior, you'll never reach out to him. That's the key right there. The key is this. You can believe anything you want, just don't believe the cross. Just don't believe what Jesus accomplished at the cross. We'll talk more about this next week, but, but, but I want you to understand something with me for a second. There's this idea that all religions are basically teaching the same thing. Is that true? Are all religions basically teaching the same thing? But I hear that all the time. As a matter of fact, I heard a Christian the other day say, well, you know what, we're just one of the many options. And I said, you're right, we're one of the many options. This option leads to heaven. Those options lead to destruction. They said, no, 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 no. Faith is faith. And and we're all helping people get to heaven. and, And they help in their own way and we help in our way. And I'm going, what well, what way is that? When do they introduce Jesus? Well they have a different, they have a different name for Jesus. They have a different name. You worship Yahweh or Jehovah. He said, Jehovah, I say Yahweh, Jehovah, but he said, you worship Jehovah, they worship Allah or they worship Buddha's teachings or they worship whatever. And he started naming these different gods. And I said, can I tell you something? My God is not that God. There's a distinction between my God and that God. And it's not because I came up with it. It's because he shared it with us. And, and, and all you have to do is read this letter and read those letters and you'll see the distinction. And so this is something that we have to get clear on that, that our God, he says, hear, o Israel, your God is one. And he is, he is the only God. You shall have no other gods before me. And this is what you shall know me as. And he began to explain who he was and who he is, and who he will ever be. Because you say, but, 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 but they all lead to the same place. You say, okay, well, is that true? Can, can, can when you compare the truthfulness of all religious claims, are there, there are only two options. Can you get away with more than these two options is my question. The two options that I came up with is this. Both claims are false or one is true and one is false. Is that is that is that is that good? Let me let me add, let me put it to you this way. Christianity says there's only one way to heaven. These say there's other ways to heaven. Can we both be true at the same time? Okay, so there's 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 only two options. We can both be false. Or one of us has to be right and the other has to be wrong. See, I want you to get comfortable with this because by definition, the very nature of truth means it's exclusive. Two plus two is four, and any other answer is wrong. And I know in a society that no one wants to be wrong, no one wants to, we don't want to call winners and losers, we're just all participants, you know, little Johnny doesn't want to have his his spirit crushed, so we're not going to keep score, we're not going to do any of those things, we're just, hey, I kind of liked finding out if I won or lost at the end of the game, because kind of, what's the whole point of playing, you know, The other other day, I was keeping score. Actually, just last night, I was keeping the the scorebook for for my son's basketball team. And the first thing, even the losing team comes up and goes, what's the score? Not only what's the score, but how many points did I make? How many fouls did I have? Why? Why? I said, oh, it's just relative. Don't worry about it. (laughs) He goes, man, you're a sorry scorekeeper. I said, I'm just kidding, right here. You had four fouls. You hit two three pointers. You did this. You did that. All right. I had the most team. I had the most points on the team. Some parent doesn't like that. Say, you know what? We're not going to keep track at all because my kid didn't score and that kid made my kid feel bad. But then that comes over into the church, and now no one wants to say that Jesus is the only way, and there's eternal. Listen, listen, listen. We understand that when we play loose with truth on this side, people can die. It's time we understand when we play loose with truth on this side, people can die for eternity. So I need you to understand this is important. You say, well, um, then, then, okay, so both statements, what, what was that again? It's called the law of non-contradiction. The law of non-contradiction is, is a law that governs the universe and it's a logical law. Well, who found it? Who came up with this? Aristotle is the first one to point it out. And and maybe he wasn't the first. Maybe there was others. Some say no. There were there's there's Hebrew writers and there's such and such writers and there's such. A, but but we know that Aristotle made it made it known because of his teaching to his pupils. And we know this because when Alexander the Great conquered the known world, we 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 learned a lot about what 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 Aristotle was doing. Since Alexander the Great was one of his pupils. But, but we know this, guys, that he said in the law of non-contradiction, he said this. He said, P cannot be and not be at the same time. You go, what? What? This is what I'm saying. I'm saying it is impossible for both P and not P to be true. Logically, that makes sense. You go, I, I'm still having trouble with it. Okay, let me put it to you this way. It would be absolutely true that there is no absolute truth. Do you get it? When the, when the relativist guy says, there is absolutely no truth. Well, you just said absolutely. There is no truth. You just violated the law of non-contradiction. In other words, we cannot be right and they cannot be right at the same time. Somebody has to be wrong. It's like when you were playing Little League. If you're going to play the game, someone's going to lose. You know what? It's something we've all understood for years, but now the father of lies, which is the enemy, is trying to change things. The third approach is the scientific approach. Stay with me on this. The scientific approach, uh, this, the, the, the basis for this approach is to verify everything empirically. You know, we, we need data. We need data. We need to be able to measure it. We need to be able to feel it. We need to be able to, 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 to experiment with it. We need to be able to have proven it in a scientific form. But there's, there's some drawbacks to this. What are the drawbacks? Come on, stay with me on this. The scientific approach. What are the drawbacks to the scientific approach? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah, it's hard to measure the metaphysical world because we live in a very physical world that doesn't understand and it's, and it's hard to perceive what's happening in the spiritual. So it's hard to gather data to prove things over in this world, okay? All right, what else? What else? Not only that, but you have the idea that... Um, Scientists have limits on not only what they can, they can gather, but the little bit that they can gather, it's incomplete, so they can make good assertions. And number three, not only is there limited data, not only can they be limited in their assertions, but, but number three is the bias of the scientist. Come on, how many of you know that, that when, you're li- when you're dealing with limited data and you're dealing with, with, with limited ability to make assertions, now the bias comes in that much stronger. Am I right? And it's been seen, especially as scientists have not always been truthful in the way they, they, they approach the idea of evolution. Okay, why evolution? Why are you focusing on that? Because this is the thing. Either evolution is true or the Bible is true. They can't both be right. Because God said He created man. Evolution said we evolved from some microorganism. Okay? So if you have this evolution, and Darwin said this Darwin said that someday I believe the fossil record will prove my theory. What's a theory? Any scientists in the room, what's a theory? Shell, anyone? I'll tell you what, a theory is something that the scientist is putting forward, hoping to prove. It's an educated guess, is the way I was taught. All right? So he puts it forward, and and Darwin says, I believe it's a good guess. It's based on my observation. It's based on the limited data I have. It's based on all of these things that I've gathered. But sooner or later, the fossil record, hundreds of years, I don't know how long it will take, but sooner or later, we'll get into the ground, and we will be able to prove what I said would be true. Do you know the fossil record proved the opposite? I'll tell you why. Because if you have one thing, that from this one thing, all these other things are evolving and you have all these different chains of, of evolution opportunities then how many how many transitional links could you find you should be able to dig into the ground and find them every second well they dig into the ground and find none you No, know, no, wait a minute wait a minute i've heard of such and, such and such and such and such and such come to my library i will show you book after book after book where these scientists have been discredited because of their bias. How did you know they were biased? You know they're biased when they're filing fossil, when they're altering bones, when they're chemically altering and trying to make it look so that it will fit their narrative. But why, doesn't, why isn't that reported? Why aren't our children taught that? Maybe the Bible is true when the Bible says, you battle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual rulers and principalities in the heavenly realms, and the one who leads them all is the father of lies. Someone said in first service, I thought it was fake news. Well, that too. But but what I'm telling you is this, the scientific approach falls short when you're dealing dealing with the metaphysical or the spiritual. Falls very short. You go, okay, so then how should I deal with the truth? Scriptural. The scriptural biblical approach is the one I'm sharing with you today. Ultimately, we are asking, has God spoken? That's our question. Has God spoken? And if so, what did he say? As Christians, we believe that God has spoken, and he has said a lot in the form of his Bible. See, the Bible is a perfect word of God. And when you start really studying the word of God and you start understanding that it's over over 40 authors spanning over three and a half continents, and, and 1,500 years it took them to write it, and they're all from different backgrounds, and many of them didn't know what each other were writing, and yet it fits so perfect. And there's not one thing that has been that's been able to withstand this test of time like the Bible has. People have attacked it and tried to disprove it tried to disprove it only to be disproven themselves. Sometimes somebody will say something against the Bible that will hang on for a couple of years only to have science disprove what they said years later. Because the Bible is the work of God. That's what God said and that's what it's proven to be. And so when you read the Bible, it's able to give you truth and set you free in all sorts of different areas. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Come on with me on this. How has it set us free? In what ways? It shows us that there's objective truth. Then we can trust it. We can trust it in the physical advice that it gives us, and we can trust it in the spiritual advice that it gives us. And so when Jesus says, you'll know more of my truth, that means the more you read of it, the more freedom you experience. Oh, this is seen every day. No, if you don't believe me, how many times have you had someone read a science manual and say to, your, say to themselves, man, that just helped me get free from drugs. When was the last time someone read a a math textbook and said, wow, my marriage is so much stronger now? The truth of the matter is the Bible is unique. Come on, let let me just show you something. How many of you have experienced the power of the word of God to transform your life? But I'm not using that as truth. Because your experience doesn't determine the truth. The truth determines your experience. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the Bible, listen, is able to make you wise, Paul said to Timothy. For what? To salvation, it shows you the way to the cross. Now do you see why the enemy is attacking this so strongly? And this is what many Christians have gotten wrapped up in. They, they, get, they get wrapped up in, in the idea that somehow God is trying to keep you from joy. God is trying to keep you from peace. God is trying to kill all of your ambition and your desire to just have a good life. He's a big killjoy. He's up there in heaven telling you everything you cannot do. I can't, I can't drink. What? What? Smoke or chew or date the girls that do. I can't do any of those things. Pastor, it's no fun coming to this church. I can't cuss. I can't drink. I can't fool around. I can't dance. I can't. God didn't say all things are permissible. But not all things are beneficial. Let me me show you something. I'm going to ask him to bring him in. I've got, I've got a, 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 a young man I want you to, to meet. His name is Alexio. And so Alexio's going to come in, and, and, I, and I want you to, to see that, that this, this whole point is illustrated when you meet Alexio. Now, these guys were supposed to be ready, but they weren't. I see them running around right now to go get Alexio. So thank you, Cody. Bring Alexio up here. Yeah, Alexio's having trouble still. Yeah, he, he doesn't want to listen. Because the truth is, Alexio doesn't always, come on, Mio, get up here. You're like, oh my gosh, you're choking him. You're, you know, look, Alexio is my new American bulldog. He's not just mine, he's Raquel's and my whole family's, and we love Alexio. And as a matter of fact, Alexio got close to being given away. Because Alexio was misbehaving really, really bad. But he's getting better. But this is the thing where where Alexio doesn't understand. Alexio doesn't understand that I love him and I'm the alpha in the house and and I'm the one that enforces the rules and I I basically tell him like, hey, you can't poop in the house. (laughs) Not a bad rule, right? Why is that a good rule? Because you poop in the house, you can get sick, and, uh, and, and we can have all sorts of diseases, and there's all sorts of consequences that come from doing that. But the other day, he wanted to potty. He didn't want to go potty, he didn't want to go poop, and he was tired. And when he gets tired, he just goes and lays down. Um, and, and so I come along and I say, Alexio, we got to get up, man, and we got to go outside and do your business. And he's like, No, it's kind of raining, it's drizzling, I'm not going. So he makes me chase him around the house. Finally, I said, I'm not going to chase you. You're going to come back sooner or later. And he came back, and I put the leash on him. And then I took him out the house, and, and he potted and did his business. He wanted to do it in the house. But I knew that if he did it in the house, we're both going to get killed, because Mama's going to kill both of us. <laughs> and she was already threatening to give him away. I didn't want her to give me away. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? Let's take Alexio over here. See, but Alexio doesn't know that my desire is to bless him. Why doesn't he know this? Because he can't fully comprehend my ways. Come on. God said my ways are high above your ways. You're not going to always comprehend them. Let me put it to you this way. Just yesterday, we knew he was going to have his big debut. And he got in the mud. So we we bathed him, and he thought we were trying to drown him. I mean, his thoughts were, these guys are trying to kill me, I'm trying to get, can I tell you, sometimes God's trying to bless you, and you perceive it as him trying to drown you. Trying to. Because God's ways are high above your ways, and sometimes, like, my ways are high above, and this doesn't even compare to the difference between this and and I look at God and I say, and hey God, but, but I'm not comfortable. And God says, my, my number one priority for you is not your comfort. My number one priority for you is for you to look like my son, Jesus. But Lord, I, I don't feel good. My number one priority for you is not, See see, some of us want to run the house like Alexio wants to run the house. See, if Alexio ran the house, he'd be pooping when he wanted to, where he wanted to, how he wanted to, eating when he wants to, sleeping where he wants to, chewing on what he wants to, it would be a mess. Someone came up after first service and said, that's like having a teenager. <laughs> listen, listen, can I tell you this? He can't run the house, cause we gotta have a good house. Can I tell you something, what if we were running this house? Not this house, I'm talking the world. If God just said, y'all do what you want, when you want, how you want, I'm not gonna put any morality on you, I'm not gonna put any rules on you, I'm just gonna let you do what you want. Can you imagine what this world would look like? Come on, Lex. Alexio means protector and guardian of man. So we're speaking a blessing over him. I'm gonna ask our worship team to come up and this is where we end. Some of us have been fighting God's truth, and we've been taking on these ideas from secular culture because because well sometimes we just don't understand why God's doing what he's doing. Can I tell you, you don't have to understand. You don't have to understand to walk by faith to know enough to say, Lord, I know you want to bless me. And do I really want to have that conversation that Job had with you? Lord, why? Lord, I don't understand. Lord, you need to explain yourself. And God goes, okay, I'll play. I love it because God loves to play with us. He he loves us like a father. How many fathers love to wrestle with their children? Oh, every father does. And so God says, "I'll wrestle with you." And he says, "Let's do this, Job. You want to have a sparring match? Let's do it. Can you tell me how I created the universe? Can you tell me how the, the Earth's foundation was poured? And it's not like we pour foundations. It's hanging in the middle space. Can you tell me how the planet's roads? Can you tell me all the science of the cosmology? Can we talk on that level? And Job's like, no, Lord. And he goes, then can we really have this conversation? Maybe you should trust me. I got you, I'm big. So the next time you feel like doing whatever you want to do and you're starting to kind of, man, maybe I'll go over here and believe that truth is relative and I don't know if I can get with all the Bible says. Maybe we can remember Alexio and say, okay, God, it's time to go do my business and do what you say. Because at the end of the day, I'm not that big a deal. The only reason I'm a big deal is because you have said I'm a big deal. And so I'll stick with you. If you're here today and you want to reconf- reaffirm, reconfirm, you want to come back and say, you know, Lord, I just want to, I just want to say to you, I believe your truth. I'm about your truth. Maybe you've been struggling in that area and you have had freedom held up because the enemy's trying to bind you in lies. And you want freedom to begin to flow in your marriage, in your home, in your, in your life then I'm going to ask you to reaffirm a commitment to God's truth right here with every head bowed and every eye closed. If, you, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Wow. Wow. Father, you see every hand that's raised. And you see every commitment. Lord, I don't know all that's behind that, that statement, But I believe it to be true. When Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He also said that he was the truth. And so I can can connect the dots, Lord, that say if I get to know him better and better and better, there will be more and more freedom in my life. So Lord, I pray that connection and that freedom over every person who raised their hand. I pray that they would come to a fuller knowledge and understanding of your truth and your person, the person of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love you, foundation. Have a great, great week.